podcast takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answer to. I'm Vib. And I'm Sean, and neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Before we move on, let's award the much-vaunted, expertise is overrated, Tinfoil Award. As a reminder, this is an award that we give out at the start of each episode to the person who had the most ridiculous point in last week's episode. Yeah, this, this time round, we're sharing it, I think, aren't we? I, I think so, yeah. I mean, I think I'm the one who said it. But I, I let you get away with it. You let you kind of let me get away with it, yeah. You just sort of laughed. <laughs> um, but it is, of course, the suggestion that I made last episode that we actually plan any of these episodes. No, uh, we don't. Uh, this is all wildly off the cuff. Um, you could tell because we're aggressively disjointed and frequently repeat ourselves or miss things. So if we were planning these we'd be less likely to be rubbish i think Uh, and it's just frankly quite shameful oh absolutely yeah i mean we repeat ourselves all the time we do we repeat ourselves all the time all the time (laughs) moving swift on maybe maybe we should plan some at some point who knows we'd actually maybe have a great podcast at the end of it i think there's a lot standing between us and a great podcast and the lack of planning is quite low on the list yeah anyway i just need to find a new co-host and it'll be good that was about to be my line you beat me to it but But yes Um, original content (laughs) anyway uh do we have any comments on last week's episode we have a couple of couple of bits of feedback now the fact that we've moved to a two-week release schedule for the moment means that we're sort of banking up comments and then we can we can share them on a couple of episodes in in one go so on our let me get the release order right on our most recent episode that was the you wake up as joffrey episode we've had a couple of bits of feedback people seem very keen on the format which is excellent mm. um and we've had a it request excellent, even though it's your idea yeah oh, no sorry the the, the 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 fact that people like it is excellent i'm not claiming that the idea is excellent but thank you for confirming it is um but people you know we've had a couple of suggestions of people that we could cover as well the the one that stood out to me was uh henry the eighth uh so drop us i don't quite know when you would do it but drop us into the the shoes of Henry VIII at some point before the end of his goat-ridden life and try and save the House of Tudor, which pinning the failures of the House of Tudor on Henry VIII is frustrating, but we'll see what we can do. I was going to say, that, that sounds like there's some rage deep down as opposed, you know, with that phrasing of the question. There's about 100 years between the death of Henry VIII and the fall of the House of Tudor, but never mind. It'll be great for me because my knowledge of English history is appalling. So, <laughs> so you, you you didn't go to school in England, so you haven't studied the Tudors. <laughs> Maybe that's what it's going to take to fix the House of Tudor. Because, um, I mean, the whole world, I think, can agree that it was Henry VIII's fault. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but no, but you're right. People seem to enjoy the, the you wake up as um, concept. And I actually really enjoyed the episode. So It was it was good fun. And we had, we had Ellie as well, friend of the show, Ellie wrote in to suggest that basically you and I, as Joffrey, were just big pansies, I think is, is the takeaway from, from her comment. Just, we didn't do enough murder. We didn't do enough murder. Uh, that's... Appar- apparently not. She just... Yeah. You know what? I, I'll, I'll give that to her. Because I remember <laughs> at the end of the episode thinking, uh, the only people I really wanted to kill were the Starks. 
Yeah, so which, which isn't yeah, it's not bloodthirsty enough. You know, I think what's happened here is you have oh made me more moderate, and I really resent you for it. I was going to say that can only be a good thing given where you started. <laughs> no, I disagree. I disagree. I used to be a free thinker and <laughs> smart, and then I started talking to you, and everything has gone downhill. I've trapped you, trapped you in my. Uh... I'll just talk attempt, at, attempt at morality, morality. That's occasion, occasionally overcome by I'm not saying Grindelwald had a point but <laughs> still one of our favourite moments it but no Ellie good. I think is absolutely right on this occasion um, yeah. I'm just not bloodthirsty enough Her, I think the, the best the best quote was I'm just coming out swinging and then listing all the people who need to die so John, Cat. Arya, so the Starks basically, but then also Marjorie, Tywin. Okay, so she's just killing everyone. I think, I think, yeah. Not, not Cersei, weirdly enough. Then I th- she probably considers Cersei a useful idiot, which you know. I suppose that's fair, actually. Starting a smear campaign about the real reason John got sent to the Wall. Hashtag John pushed Bran, which that's that's Wild. that's a move. That's, that is that, I'm not sure that's a good move. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good move. Feels like it draws attention to someone who's safely at the wall. It does, yeah. Anyway. Um, maybe we should get Ellie on an episode of, you know, what is morality and why does Viv not have any? I don't think that either of us could survive that. That's kind of why I want to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll save that for another day. Yeah. We will. So just as ever, thank you very much for your feedback and particularly with the You Wake Up As episodes. If there is someone, fictional or not, that you want us to to cover, then we will absolutely give it our give it our best. And apologies in advance for how bad it turns out our best actually is. Yeah, and I really look forward to someone suggesting one of the most niche historical figures in you know, yeah. history. That would be really quite fun. That'd be excellent. Um, but today, today, today is not you wake up as. Today we're grabbing the coattails of the cultural zeitgeist and, and talking about a game that's been out for not that long. Really. Two weeks, three weeks? No, no, no. That's that's the game Five we should that's the game we should be talking about, but we're not. We're talking about the one that Oh, of course we're not, yes. Because yeah. Sorry, I got caught up in our own hype there for a second. I was like, oh, look at us talking about something topical. No, we're, we're, we're going back. I actually don't know how long it's Warhammer 2 has been out. So yes, we're obviously Creative Assembly released... Five years? Yeah, they released Warhammer Crypto to War Warhammer 3 on the 17th of February, and maths is difficult, but it's about a month ago um, at this stage. Or at least when you're listening to when it, it comes out, it'll be about just over a month. I just think. over a month, I think. Uh, and it's it's come out to relatively mixed reviews. I think there's an overwhelming sense that the gameplay is very good, but some of the campaign decisions are may, maybe weren't what they yeah, could be. Yeah, I think overall, excellent job on all the factions. Yeah, uh, with but, Nurgle perhaps being an exception, but the campaign sucks. But rather than talk about that. We decided that what people really want to hear is our opinion on a game that's been out for five years. 
If not six. If not six. Um, and actually, I think personally that that description is quite apt for this game as well. You know, the factions are all really quite interesting. The campaign sucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. So we're obviously we're talking Total War Warhammer 2. And what we thought we'd do is, is give a brief overview of the various factions in the game and then try and pare down for each faction who is our favourite of the legendary lords, so the faction leaders, and then overall, who are the top three? Yeah. Think, the top three, but, but, you, but you had some caveats in our selection to, to really screw with me, mainly. But well, well yeah, because, because you're unfortunately predictable. The top three have to come from different factions. Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Otherwise, we were going to have a high elf, a high elf, and a high elf. No, uh, not necessarily. I, I at the end, I'll probably give you my actual top three. Okay, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no. So they, we're we're only allowed one from each of the races, factions, whichever term you want to use. Yeah. So to, Total War Warhammer Two, an excellent, excellent game. Yes. Uh, although maybe not at the beginning. I mean, it it has it it's benefited hugely from multiple DLCs, FLCs, uh, complete reworks, improvements, complete reworks, inclusion of the Mortal Empires campaign, of course. Yes, and that's something else that we should call out here. We are only talking about legendary lords specifically who were released for Warhammer Two. So during the lifespan of Warhammer 2. So for example, with the Wood Elves, we can't choose Orion or Durthu because they were released for Warhammer 1. Notwithstanding yeah. that they're available to play in Warhammer 2 now. Yeah, this this is exactly the, the point. Um, uh, characters that were released for Warhammer 2 as a... As a... Yeah, during during its lifespan, um, and I also think so. So Norsk is a weird one, obviously, because they were released more or less on the on the eve of. They were it was they were meant to be released for Warhammer two, but someone screwed up the code. Yeah, and Norsk sucks. So and also Norsk is never going to be relevant. <laughs> um, the only legendary lord that we perhaps have to put a question mark over is Dreicher. She was an FLC, but she is Mortal Empires only. So I don't know how I feel about that in terms of including her on, on this list, potentially. I'm happy to talk about... She doesn't make my top three, so it doesn't really matter. But I'm, I'm happy to talk about her when we get to the Wood Elves, because otherwise we're just talking about the Sisters of Twilight. I'm happy to contrast, because I think the contrast is good. Yeah, exactly. I think I think she's very interesting, very different um, play style altogether. Sure. Um, before we get that, so Warhammer 2 released... Four factions. Yes. Um, well, three factions. Well, no, they one released, they completely made up. I was going to say, they released four factions and did a very good job of inventing a whole faction to fill out that fourth slot. Well, I think it was public backlash, right? When they showed all the trailers and it was three factions, people were like, oh, really? Only three factions? You know, isn't there something else? And they're like, okay, what we're going to do is come up with some completely outrageous species of giant rats. Um... No one will want to play as them. They're really stupid. They're really shit. But here you go. And they were shit at launch. They were very, very <laughs> shit really at launch. They really were. Um, but wow, did they have a, 
um, a comeback. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, come on to on to them. So yes, where do you want where do you want to start? Well, so at launch, at launch Warhammer Two, I can't actually remember if I played at launch. That's that's how I I, this is. I know I did. You know you did. What was yeah. your first pick? What was your first campaign at launch? I think my first campaign at launch was. Tyrion. Tyrion. Yes, of course. Tyrion High Elves. Because he's the first, he's literally the first on the list. If you click start campaign, Tyrion pops up on screen. And I just went, yeah, sure, that'll do. So High Elves um, starts on the donut in potentially the richest city in the game, I think. Not potentially, I think definitely. Well, no. There's the element. The, there's the argument that uh, Hexwattle is a smidge uh, higher income. How? Because it's got gold, but it doesn't have a port. Uh, yeah, but the province does, right? Sure, but Lothurn has the gates of Lothurn port, which is like the it's like Marienburg. Yeah, look. Watch Legend's video on this. There's the stream where he talks about this because his entire chat goes mental about this difference. But I, I think he tested in Hexwattle wins ever so slightly. In, but it's but it's it's difficult because hands. it's so much easier. Yeah, obviously with with all the with all the cheese, right? The, yeah, the entrepreneur cheese. Okay, but but you lose out by trying to get all your agents there. Um, yeah, so you've got a you've got downtime. Yeah, so putting well, and, and the, anyway, the difference is so slight that it, it, it hardly makes a difference. Well, you, fair enough. Anyway, the point the point is you start in a, a very rich province with a port, which for high elves is very useful because you can trade so easily, um, and you've got lots of people around you who will confederate you very quickly because you're Tyrion, uh, and also he's quite fun on the. Battle maps, right? So that's a yeah. that's a that's such an important part. You've got the campaign map side of things. No, but Tyrion being first on on the Lord selection list, I think, makes a lot of sense because he's unbelievably strong. As a it's character. also easy mode. It's e- yeah, exactly. And and the High Elves are the easiest faction for novices because you literally have the choice of a line of spears and archers behind, and then you stick Tyrion at the front. <laughs> Yeah, and if you want, you could have some cavalry that won't really do much, but you don't notice they're not doing much. Because your your archers have killed everything already. Exactly, and your archers are insanely powerful, is is the the thing, and the spearmen are really good. Um, So so I think it makes a lot of sense to start with Tyrion. I think Tyrion is my first campaign as well. The game points you in that direction. He's the Karl Franz of Warhammer 2. Right, Karl Franz was the yeah. equip- was the the starting campaign for for Most Warhammer ways. One with the the tutorial uh, like pre bit as well. You know, you get a couple of small battles um, for sure, for sure. Which, and I mean, for me personally, uh, High Elves were the faction I collected when Warhammer Fantasy was a thing. Yeah. So so there's that draw as well. Like. Seeing them rendered in 3D is quite cool. Yeah, because I mean, at, at launch it was Tyrion, Teclis, and no. Nope. It was Tyrion and Teclis. Tyrion and Teclis, yeah. yeah the two Tyrion, Teclis, Malekith, Marathi, Mazdamundi, Krokgar, Queek, Skrolk. Yeah, and it wasn't going to be Queek, Skrolk. No. Uh, the Queek as a character is, is, is quite interesting in the lore. Um, yeah, my, we'll, we'll talk Lizardmen, I think, in a, in, a, in a bit. Because there's still just there's something disappointing about them. 
for me to this day. Yeah, I think that's the, fair. The other obvious choice would have been Dark Elves. Uh, Malekith's campaign is is really good fun. Uh, I think character. I think that's right. I think for me, the reason I didn't start with Dark Elves, the reason I started with High Elves, was that the Dark Elves were slightly more complicated because they've got the loyalty mechanic and yeah, the slavery. Slaves. Yeah, and the loyalty mechanics are a little more difficult than the High Elves, which is just you get free vision when you get trade. Yeah, and uh, all of the High Elf mechanics are easier. Really easy, really straightforward. Yeah, but but all... still interesting enough because because one of my issues with the Lizard Men is that all their unique mechanics, which I think is just the geomantic web. Uh, it's really boring. <laughs> uh, Tehenuin has a unique mechanic, as does Oxyotl. Oxyotl one, Oxyotl's one is admittedly quite fun. Tehenuin's plaques as well. The plaques of Sotek, or whatever they're called. Cult yeah. of Sotek mechanic. But I know I've, I I tried to play a Tehenuin campaign and wasn't... Anyway, they're talking about this men later. But you're, you're right. The geomantic web isn't nearly as interesting as either influence or uh loyalty and slaves in influence certainly in its current guys i think is such a simple mechanic that's really fun yeah um and i remember a, a head-to-head campaign that we played where you were uh what's his face the stupid dwarf dude thorburn yeah yeah exactly um and i just remember using intrigue as in getting getting line of sight on people around you and then just fucking with them so they would declare war on you is going yeah, to be one of the tanking most fun my things relations, I've done. <laughs> tanking my relations with people that I really needed to not be at war with was worked very well for you. Yeah, really good fun. And for such a simple mechanic, it's it is pretty great. Um, the Dark Elf loyalty one has screwed me over in the past. It's the... the... I think it actually works very well, though. It screwed me as well, but it tends to screw me when I forget about it. Yeah, no, it's 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 really well designed. It's work. It's working as intended. It's just irritating when you're like, okay, I need to give this army a retrofit, so I'll just delete all the units in it, and then oh, I I guess this lord has just rebelled against me. <laughs> exactly. This That's annoying. He's not taking my shit. <laughs> yeah, dark elves. My my issue with dark elves was, especially in the early game, right? You have a line of spears and you have crossbows behind. Yes. And it just it didn't feel quite the same to me, you know. They they lacked the range, they lacked the they lacked that sort of gleam of the high elves. I don't really I don't really know how to put it. But. So no, I I I think I know what you mean. I think the the problem that the dark elves certainly in the early uh first couple of years of of release, the problem that I think they suffered from was the the units on the battlefield that made them unique were objectively worse than the units that they had that they shared with the high elves. So it shared you know, spears and spears and archers basically, or you've got like, um, oh, what are they called, corsairs, which are just yeah not very good. Certainly with well Malekith and Marathi, they're see, not that, very that good. I think is it's. A bit unfair to say that they are very good. The problem is that you're very early on fighting either other dark elves, which have range, or you're fighting high elves, which have really good range, and your corsairs are just useless in that. They don't have shields. So yeah, yeah, just they were kind of mismatched. I think ultimately they they do feel they do feel mismatched, and until you really get going, your economy is always lagging behind, and 
it's never quite made clear how they're meant to play because you've got obviously they've got the black arc mechanic so the mobile floating fortresses that you are meant to use as your recruitment hubs and then your provinces should all be devoted to maximizing income but that's never really made clear well no because that's something we call cheese no it's not that's that's mechanics working as intended total cheese it's absolutely not you're supposed to use your black arc to go explore the world and spread your dread but that's not but the dread isn't a mechanic that's no, just but, that's just you, you as the player feeling but you're not good you're not supposed yourself. to recruit a black arc and stick it next to Nagaron because of course you are I mean, it's it's objectively the best thing to do, and it, it works unbelievably well. But you're, you're meant to use those black arcs to go out and. I don't think that. I don't think that's true. I I think I think there's too many things in the game that people call cheese that is just using the mechanics of the game. It's, uh, cheese is the wrong word, but it's it's not doing the black arc enough of a service, in my opinion. Right, it's it's meant to go out there and, and fight. Maybe. But um, you just use them as mobile recruitment hubs, right? That's what the yeah, real yeah. benefit you, you is. You sort of follow the main army around with them, I think. Yeah. Um, the Dark Elves. So yeah, the Lizard Men, Geomantic Web, entirely pointless as far as I'm concerned. Um, also, just never cared about it in any of my Lizard Men games. It's well, it's, it's always like third or fourth order. It's completely it, passive, is the thing. Because yeah. the only thing that affects it is you conquering territory, and you do that anyway. Yeah, you conquer territory, and then you build a building that's very expensive, and you get a little bit more growth, but you only get a lot of growth, at, I think, at tier five, at which point you don't need growth, Yeah, and you get some public order, but you're the lizard man, you don't worry about public order. Part of me wonders if if they did that because, I guess, the original campaign, right, the Vortex campaign, the much maligned Vortex campaign... The, the aim wasn't necessarily to expand and get lots of territory. And perhaps they introduced that mechanic for the Lizardmen to say, oh, maybe you should consider doing that. Maybe. I'm just looking at what you get from the Geomantic Web. At Tier 5, you can have Public Order plus 5, Income from All Buildings plus 10%, and Growth plus 50. Like, none of that's to be sniffed at, but Income from All Buildings 10%, so that's a Bad entrepreneur. Yeah, but for Lisbon, that makes a huge difference, right? For Lisbon, it makes a huge difference. You've got something, uh, public order plus five, not really a big deal. Growth plus, I mean, again, useful, and particularly on higher difficulties, it's useful, but it's not like game changing in the same way as the unique mechanics of other factions. You can get a bit more Winds of Magic. Um, that's the other thing, because it's tied to commandments, isn't it? The geomantic web. Yes. So the way the geomantic web works is it levels up your province-wide commandments. Yes, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm just looking at the the tier five stuff now, and chance of plague spreading goes down, plague duration goes down. So maybe when maybe when they get when Nurgle is on the map, all of a sudden the geomantic web is going to be huge. Yeah, but they also, I guess, do face a lot of Skaven. Right? Who, who love yeah, but Skaven plagues are not as they're not that bad. Scary as Nurgle plagues. No, no, Siege Holder Nurgle at times goes honestly, out. I hate them with a passion. Winds I of hate Magic. <laughs> Winds of Magic Power Reserve plus three all armies. So I guess if you've got loads of tier five settlements with Geomantic Web, that's a big deal because you've got Slan. But 
at that point, you've probably just got loads of slan, so that's fine. You don't need plus yeah. three wins of magic. Yeah. Research rate goes up, but sort of, again, research rate going up is going to be so late game, it doesn't matter, and it only goes up by 5%, so it's knocking one turn off a 20-turn research or some local army buffs. I, uh, yeah, it's so passive. Yeah, yeah. Like you say. Yeah, exactly. It's so passive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's not really much more to be said about Lizmet. I, I, I was but, somewhat disappointed by them, right? Because they're big dinosaurs. That's that's what I was about to say. You say there's not that much more to them, except big dinosaurs. Yeah, but, but their big dinosaurs never really felt big dinosaur enough. Yeah, your army of T-Rexes isn't actually... It's an army of T-Rexes, like tier 5 T-Rexes that that really suffer when they encounter T1 Dreadspears. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, let alone um, Blackguard or something like that, or Phoenix Guard or something. Yeah. So 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 they're kind of fun, but not, unfortunately. <laughs> and Ma- Mazda Mundi doesn't feel as powerful a wizard as Teclis, which, eh, maybe that's fair, but... I don't know, it just doesn't... Well, Mazda Mundi really suffers by not being the best magic caster in the Lizardmen roster for his own yeah. faction. <laughs> this is this is the, the classic, you should swap him out for a... Just a normal life slan. A yeah. life slan when you can. But again, I'm not... That that feels not not necessarily cheesy, but not using the mechanics as intended, but then... No, true, but, but it is objectively... Life magic for dinos, especially with all the big single entities, is objectively very good. Yeah. I mean, you could obviously have Mazda Mundi and a life. Uh, well, no, you can't have. You can't the because menu. they're lords. Yeah, I guess that's the problem. That's that's the problem. It's not so much that life slan are too good; it's that Mazda Mundi's not good enough. He's one of the few legendary lords that just doesn't feel good enough. Yeah. What is he? Law of Light, isn't he, or something like that? Heavens. 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 Yeah. And he's got a couple of bone spells, so his like ruination of cities. That you get at like level twenty five or something is really good, yeah. but by that point, one spell isn't going to change a battle. It's True, not like yeah. it's not like when you start as Gorok and you get Croak, and from turn one you're casting Ruination of Itza or Deliverance of Itza, sorry, and deleting half the enemy army. Yeah. Although that is good fun. old croak, that is really fun. So yeah, lizard men, yeah, mm. and then the um, fictitious Skaven. The Skaven, yeah. At launch, at launch, they really were uninteresting. So so bad. Really uninteresting. The food mechanic, mm, yeah, not that. Just felt it just felt like a hindrance. Yeah, and then I mean, their lords were really unexciting. <laughs> Queek was just a bad Tyrion. Yeah, yeah. Like a, 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 a foot. I suppose Tyrion gets a horse, but essentially a foot lord, a foot lord that's a good duelist, but melts against like a regular high elf prince. Meh. Does he? I don't know if he actually does, but it feels like he does. Feels like he does. Yeah, yeah. Queek's just a bit boring. Scroll never cared, honestly. He's got the Volkmar problem, I think. The Falkmar problem. Which is that lords that give 
passive buffs to the army don't feel very fun, even if they're good. But this is one of the redeeming features, not redeeming features, this is one of the key features about Tyrion, right? Is that, I mean, ultimately, I think the bottom line is he's OP because he buffs his armies really nicely. He buffs the faction incredibly yes. well. And then on top of that, he is the, the single best duelist, um, certainly at launch. Yeah, the, the, the benefit that Tyrion has is he does all of that, like you say. He buffs his army very well. Uh, he buffs his faction very well. But also, he's just a fire-and-forget missile. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Right, and, and until Malice or Imric or... I'm trying to look... Torox, Torox I guess, yeah. came into the game. Snickich a bit, but not quite the same way. Like, he was just... There was nothing that could stop him. But even then, I think Tyrion, if you spec him correctly, can win all those battles. All the those only fights. one that I'd have a question... I'm not sure he... Can he beat Malice or Imric? I don't think he can beat Imric. <sighs> he'll beat an AI Malice, is the, is the problem. He'll beat oh, an he'll AI beat, He'll beat Imric. Imric's fucking garbage. Um, but we'll come on to that um, soon enough, I suspect. You and I are about to have a violent disagreement. Uh, I know, right? Um, well, it'll be really interesting to see if is, is does Tyrion make the list? I don't know. It'll be yeah, to find out. And there, there is, a, there is a. He does have one, in my mind, quite significant negative, which is that he, it's the most vanilla Warhammer Two experience. It it's, is the you, most vanilla Warhammer Two. Experience. You play, you play Tyrion if you don't want to worry about any faction mechanics. It is, but but that's the thing. So at launch, I think Warhammer Two was perfectly serviceable. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, but very vanilla. I think that's an excellent way of putting it. But then, of course, they really hit the, the ball out of the park by introducing Mortal Empires, i.e. unlocking the whole world map as it was at the time, so including Warhammer 1 and 2. Well, I, I guess, yeah, the point to make there is, much like Warhammer 3, the Realm of Chaos campaign that people are talking about now, Warhammer 2 launched with a narrative campaign, not a sandbox. It launched with the Vortex, which is just a bit irritating. Yeah. See, now I think what people will hopefully see is that actually, compared to Armour 3, certainly the Vortex campaign was a sandbox. Because, yes, that's true. sure, you were all racing to get there, but ultimately that didn't matter because you could you got the opportunity to stop every single army who got there before you in a final battle. Yes, yeah, so you didn't have, to, you didn't out, have so. to camp. To, to, to not lose in the way that you do in Warhammer 3. Yeah. So so to, to ultimately win your campaign, sure, you had to ultimately do the Vortex. But yeah, it, 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 it doesn't feel quite as hamstrung as the Warhammer 3 Realm of Chaos campaign. And you, anyway. also, and you also have control, much more control over when things happen, which is a big thing that's missing from Warhammer 3. Yeah. Warhammer 3 tells you when the rifts are coming and you have to pull your army back from the front line to defend your territory type thing. Whereas in Warhammer 2, you push a button for that to happen. Yeah. Which is a huge Although I remember difference. distinctly, it infuriated me no end because I'd secured, well, myself and, and High Elf allies had secured all the gates. So I was like, oh yeah, great. I'm ready to, to do this ritual. I have the gates. We'll hold them at the gates. <laughs> Where do the fucking Chaos armies spawn? Inside the gates. gates. It's so good. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. It's such a troll. Completely undermines the whole point. Um, but anyway, that's that's a story for another day. Um, no, but, but Mortal Empires, 
It just opened up a complete sandbox, as you say. You know, you could play as Carl Franz, you could play as Greenskins, you could play as whatever you wanted and still fight the Dark Elves or Lizard Men or whatever. Yeah. And then they kicked in, really kicked it up another gear by introducing so many DLC lords. Yes. Um, so for some of the Warhammer 1 factions that we had, so we had, for, for example, for Bretonia, the Repants, they just stuck a crusading knight in, in Araby, which is really fun. Uh, they reworked the Beastmen, Wood Elves, Empire, Greenskins, all of these factions, Dwarves, they, they got um, at least one Legendary Lord. I think, as you said, the only faction that didn't get anything from Warhammer 1 was... I think it's the Vampire Counts and the maybe Norska, depending on how you count Norska. The Vampire Counts got a bit of a rework. They, they got, got a um, massive rework, but they didn't get a new Lord. Yeah. A new Lord, which is interesting. did they? No, Vlad and Isabella were in Warhammer 1. So, no, they didn't get a new lord. Yeah. So, so they so got lots of really good reworks. reworks. Yeah. Lots of really good reworks, lots of really cool lords um, that you could play on the Vortex campaign map, even though they necessarily didn't have the Vortex campaign uh, victory conditions. And that, that was such a good design decision because the Vortex map I really like because yeah. it's got more, more settlements on it and more detail. So, it's got. The glittering lighthouse, uh, or whatever it's called, uh, at Lothurn. So you can build that separately from Lothurn and things like that, which just tickle my desire for more yeah. and more lore. And a lot of settlements were more than a turn away. Because sometimes with yeah. mortal empires, you think you literally are just pinballing from settlement to settlement. Yeah. Um, so no, that that was that was a stroke of genius. And of course, they reduced the the tomb kings, which a lot of people are big fans of those. Uh, that fact, yeah, very unique. Uh, very interesting, kind of did their own thing on the campaign map. And then, of course, they did something even more impressive in some ways and kind of invented a new faction. I mean, aside from the rats, but... Yeah, uh, the the Vampire Coast. Yeah. Which was very impressive. I think they took one line of lore from an old Warhammer RPG book and went, we can build a faction around that. And they're they're good fun. They're not, they're not my cup of tea, but they are very good fun. It is... It's the only DLC that I don't own, Alex, aside from Warriors of Chaos and Norska, but we don't talk about them. Vampire Coast, I think, is objectively very good. It's just as the same with you. It's not my cup of tea. Um, so surprise, surprise, they probably don't make my list. If you don't own them, it would be interesting for them to make your list. But they are—they do all look... For, all four of them are unique. Yes, they have a very, very interesting different. play style. Um, but yeah, just just not really for me. It's It's... If you had pirates, 100% I'd play them. But pirate, zombie, skeleton things... Yeah. There's there's almost a bit too much variety going on, isn't there, with the Vampire Coast? Because you've got early game, it's zombie, pirate, gunnery mob or whatever, which is great because that's basically gun lines. uh, And that's incredibly powerful. And then mid-game, you just keep doing that because the mid-game units aren't very interesting. And then late game, all of a sudden, you're doing giant crabs and reanimated zombie ships and stuff like that, which is also great, but just all of a sudden very different. And I I guess that's that's good game design, right? It's a faction that that really changes quite significantly as you. Yeah, that's true. And their campaign map stuff is interesting because they're all horde factions, but they can also settle settlements. Uh, 
but they've also got that treasure hunt stuff, which someone once pointed out to me is net bad for the faction because you don't get enough gold from a treasure hunt to pay for the upkeep of the hero that you have to keep around to do the treasure hunt, <laughs> which is very funny. funny. That is quite funny. I mean, the treasure hunt, but very similar to the two kings, they, they, they sort of have a, a treasure hunt thing, except they're hunting books of Nagash. Um, yeah, but you get massive faction-wide bonuses. You do. Yeah, for the books do. of Nagash, rather than 500 gold on an opal amulet or whatever it is. Yeah, and the Tomb Kings as a faction are very different, certainly to any of the, the things that, that took yes, place. Yes, they are. Um, but, I mean, talking about DLC a little bit, so Skaven obviously had a massive win off the back of that because all their legendary lords that are DLCs way better uh, way more fun, unbelievably unique mechanics. Yeah, yeah. So this is Icky Claw, Snickitch, and, and Throttle Throt- Unclean. Yeah. So, so all all three completely different factions in in some ways. Um, yeah, you, you know, in terms of h- how you should play them. Uh, I think that's also true of the Dark Elves. They got a lot of love with Rakarth getting access to a bunch of monsters. I guess Lokir because he just starts something completely different and. You know that that is kind of just black arc central, isn't it? Yes, I. There are a couple of things. Rakarth doesn't really interest me, uh, but I can see that he's very very good, and his beast master mechanic is very cool. The way you sort of capture it's it's quite like throts, isn't it? You sort of capture up loads and loads of stuff, and then from yeah. time to time you push a button and get access to like seventeen dragons or whatever it is. Um. Loki here, I've just never really got into uh, because black arcs just for me don't really feel right, and I can't because quite you don't work know how out. To use them. That's probably I can't quite work out what it is about them that doesn't feel right though. It it sort of comes back to, and this isn't really something I want to get into today, but like the core Warhammer Two thing of every army needs to be led by a lord. Whereas the way I see black arcs working is you have one big black arc and then you've got lots of small armies that like basically come out of that to go and raid a whole coastline or something. But I want I want like three six unit armies coming out of a black arc to go and hit three settlements at once or something like that, which just doesn't work. Um, but that's just me being weird. <laughs> The thing that's always bothered me with Black Arcs a little bit is that they don't have a garrison. I mean, they're floating cities, right? Yeah, so you've got to... Cities have garrisons. You've got to stuff them full of units. Yeah, it's a weird one. But then they have Malice, who is a one-man doom stack. In in the hands of the player, one one of the nastiest lords. Yeah. Provided the enemy doesn't have anything that can fly. Right, the doesn't have anything to buy. That's very true. Um, and then, of course, I mean, the Lizardmen, in terms of their DLC, eh, again, for me, Nakai was an interesting idea, except he's really shit. Oxyotl's really fun because you just teleport around the place. Gorok Nak- and Croak, that's that's the redeeming one there, I think. Especially Nakai. Yeah, Nakai is interesting because he's, like you said, it was. A, it was sort of attempt to to make hordes a proper horde faction work. So he gets this ally who he gifts every settlement to. But the problem is, the ally is really stupid. Really stupid. Just 
just really, really stupid. And you don't get very much income out of them because they don't build their settlements properly. Um, and do the ally does stupid things like declares war on people when you're not nearby. You're like, well, okay. Yeah, it's the fact that you're kind of tied to that ally in a, in a meaningful way. If, if Nakai would just wander around and turn settlements into like Lizardman settlements that they're then completely autonomous and you don't have to care about it, that I would rate more, I think. You're just you're just this pinball wandering around the map trying to hunt evil stuff down. You know, that, that, that I could see being kind of interesting. So, but... so you know, I've just had a thought. So you know Snickich's mechanic where he's got that plunge into anarchy thing where he deletes a faction. Yeah. And they get replaced by essentially rebels yeah. at each of their settlements. But each of those rebel settlements works autonomously. And and is and can't be diplomacy. You could do that with Nakai. So every settlement that he takes is essentially given to an independent lizardman faction, and you just don't really care about them. Yeah, I think that that that's that would have been a better impl- implementation in my mind. But no, but, yeah. I mean, on his own, he's also quite fun because he's a giant crocodile that wanders around on two yeah, legs and hits things true. with a hammer, which is, I mean, what's not to love. But you're right, in the Lizardmen benefit basically because you've got Gorok as FLC, who's just an incredibly tanky uh, lord, but also starts with Croak, who has delete units as a spell. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? That's that's really great, but he doesn't have any interesting mechanics, or new mechanics, I should say. No, he's, ju- he's, just, he's just a defensive version of Krokgar. Yeah. Whereas Nakai and Oxyotl did get new, and uh, Tehenuin got got new mechanics, they just again weren't that interesting. Yes. So the lizardmen really suffer as, uh, as a result of that. In stark contrast, I think the high elf DLCs all very good and all bring something slightly new to the table. Um, or in the case of Imric, quite a lot new, I suppose. Imric and Eltharion have very new. Uh, Eltharion yeah, as well. You're right. But, but even the, the original ones, like Alari, Lilith, and Nar, you know, not huge changes, I guess, faction-wide. Uh, although Alith having his ambush attack is unbelievably insane. It's just stupidly Like, fun. here's the most powerful faction. What 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 will make them uh, better? Oh, let's just make them ambush attack. <laughs> yes, that was that was Thank that you. was that was a, a game designer who just wanted to go home and have fun. I mean, and, and well done. Yeah, Alith is really good fun. Absolutely. But you're right, so Alariel is just like Tyrion but focused on growth and you start with a spellcaster, but you start in Ulthuan rather than like Teclas does in the middle of Lustria and you just build up Ulthuan and confederate people and generally just get faction-wide bonuses because as long as you control all of Ulthuan, which you will do, you just get massive faction-wide bonuses, so that's pretty pretty nice. You there? It, yeah, sorry. Can you hear the the unbelievable shaking of my uh, washing machine in the background? Is that what that is? That's yeah, it's mental, isn't it? That's really loud. I don't know if we have to maybe put a cut in here while I quickly pause it. <laughs> it's okay. not too bad. Yeah, it's all right now. Okay, well, let's just keep going. Um, but thanks, then, listeners, listeners, for sticking through through this with us. <laughs> yeah, 
apologies if if we didn't cut out that uh that washing machine noise funny. So i was just muted myself because i was like wow that's ridiculous but um yeah, but no, so yeah. once we once we move past Alariel, who is quite quite vanilla, and especially in in contrast to Helebron, who was the other lord released in that DLC, who has the whole blood voyage mechanic and the uh, aging de aging thing, which is quite clever. And Alariel was the the less exciting mechanics focused lord in that. But then you have Eltharion and Imric who are just, much like Elith and R, massive gameplay changers, right? They really are. I mean, well, actually, Imric, in some ways, isn't really. Uh, he's got the dragon hunt, which obviously is, that's really fun, but they're kind of just multiple quest battles in a way. They, uh, and he just starts in a really interesting position. But he starts in an absolutely uh, nightmarish position. Yeah, it's really fun, because they were like, okay, how can we actually make a high elf legend lord who's difficult? I think they tried it with Teclis because they put him in a somewhat tricky spot, but he, I mean, he's a wizard, so really early on he's already powerful as hell. Yeah. Um, and that's um, that's the thing. Whereas Imric, they were like, okay, let's make this as difficult as we possibly can do. Yeah, that's, that's um, exactly what they did. They went, where can we stick him so that basically we balance out how powerful we've made this guy? Yeah, so he's, he's like the... If you triangulate... Um, the orcs whose name I always forget, Grimgore. Between Grimgore, Snickage, and Malice, you, in the middle of all that, you will find Imric start. And yeah. he's poor as heck. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, he's poor as heck because High Elves make all of their money off trade in the start, and Imric can't trade with anyone because he doesn't have access to the sea. And yeah. even when he does get access to the sea, it's apparently the wrong sea, which is so funny. Such a such a weird design choice or just oversight. Yeah. Um, plus, think, on top of that, they dangle all the really fancy, expensive units in front of you early on. Yeah, so would, you, you can recruit dragons. dragon princes at tier three with Imric. So you really wanted to have all the goodies and then just be really poor. And you're um, fighting Snickich. An AI Snickich can have four armies out of one tier three settlement, and it's just so annoying. And such simple things like that stupid uh, river delta. In between you and him, so he can just jump because across. He's got that. the underway, he can teleport, and it takes you four turns to cross yeah. it. <laughs> so Im- Imric's really fun, and I, and I imagine he will end up on, on your list. That's my that's my guess for this episode. Um, and he's a worthy contender, uh, even though I think he's absolutely <laughs> shit in a fight. You see, he doesn't make it onto my list, despite the fact that he's not shit in a fight, he's right up there as probably one of the strongest legendary lords in the game. Yeah. But his campaign is too irritating. <laughs> like the problem the problem the problem with Imric is you want to play Imric when he's level 40, right? And you've got all of his points and he's the most powerful thing on any map and you just just point him at armies Stop and he's being least... such a fanboy. He's overrated. He may or well you... be over he may well be overrated, but I rate him so highly that even if he is overrated, he's still very, very good. And much, I think much like your player AI versus player malice versus AI malice, in the hands of a player, Imric is phenomenally powerful. In the hands of the AI, maybe less so. Yeah, that's very true. But then in the hands of the players, I think all the legendary rules are that's phenomenally true. powerful. That's true. Um, so, 
what I'm sensing here is that after a whopping 52 minutes of us recording, we're actually finally going to cover the topic at hand. Okay, should we should we do our lists then? Having having run Let's, through them. Well, list is a strong word, I think, for mine. So, so to recap, so we we are going to pick our three favorite legendary lords who are from three separate factions. Uh, to avoid, as Sean rightly feared, that I would just put three high elves on there because I'm a fanboy. And it's actually made it quite difficult. So why don't why don't you kick us off with your list? Okay. So my my number three is Setra from the Tomb Kings. Yeah, interesting, yeah. And for a very simple reason, which is that it's an incredibly fun campaign, and Setra himself is such a ridiculous character. Yeah. And I really like, like you said earlier, the uniqueness of the Tomb King mechanics. The whole, you start, like, their units are free, there's no upkeep, but you build buildings to get unit cat. And you can't confederate, so whenever you pick a Tomb King Legendary Lord, that's the only one you can get. You can't get Arkan as Setra, you can't get Kartep as Setra, or vice versa, which is just such a nice little mechanic. Um, I really, really like that. And his voice acting is great. And his voice acting is so funny and so good. Um, Setra does suffer from a couple of things. Firstly, he's a spellcaster, except his spells are a trap. Because he's not a very good spellcaster. <laughs> yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, branch of magic, isn't it? Yeah, he's got a not very good magic lore, and he has very little to make him better as a caster. But you see spells, and most other legendary lords, you go, ooh, spells, I want. Uh, but with Setra, you shouldn't. And also, and this is probably just a me thing, his highest level mount, the Chariot of the Gods, is not as good as his mid-tier mount, which is the Cambrian War Sphinx. Yeah. I think technically it probably is. If you do the stat breakdown, I think it's better, but it misses the whole... It's a single large single-entity unit that has huge disruption, etc., uh, on the War Sphinx. Yeah. But no, Setra makes my number three. Fair. Don't then, hate it. Moving to number two, this is where things get a bit weird. So I have two... Legendary Lords in my number two spot, neither it's, of which are neither of which are a contender for one. Okay. So I've got either Torox, the Brass Bull, mm-hmm. or Malekith. Well, that's a weird combination. Torox it's, or Malekith. Tor- Torox for Torox I don't think he was actually the last. Was he the last DLC? He was, yeah. He was the last DLC. Yes, along sorry. with the sisters, yeah. Uh, uh, no, Torix was the last DLC. It was Taurus and Oxyotl was the last Oxyotl, DLC. Oxyotl, yeah, yeah, that's the one. And and I just got the sense that the Warhammer Two team were like, meh, balance. Who cares? This is fun. Right. That's a theme that was consistent with the DLCs. The right? DLCs I think as, did... as soon as as Ikid came out, who I think was the first DLC, was he? No, the uh, second after um, Alariel. Yeah, Laurel and Helibron. Then so once Ikit they reach and Ikit. to Henowin. Yeah, I think uh, once but, once they got Ikit, they were like, "Yeah, balance for the player." We can, <laughs> we can put nukes in the game, or we could exactly. balance it. Yeah, uh, but Torox exemplifies that beautifully. Torox exemplifies that because you can win Torox's campaign in nineteen turns. I think. <laughs> 
<laughs> if you're Legend of Total War. If you, I can. I, I will probably take me about thirty, but still, just the sheer insanity of the campaign is so much fun. Yeah, so stupid. Um, so, so why? Why him Malekith or Malekith? Yeah. Malekith? Malekith, because he's a legendary lord I keep going back to, much like Tyrion. Right. Okay. Right. So it's not it's not an insane campaign, but he's very he's sol it's a very boring second choice, essentially. I've played way more campaigns with Malekith than I have Torox, because I've done one Torox campaign and I've now done Torox. There's not really anything to do once you've done the raging ball of destruction that's ping ponging around the map fighting eight battles in a turn. So I, I think my number two is Torox, but I don't think I can commit to it because I know if I fire up Warhammer 2, I'm more likely to, pl- to pick Malekith than I am Torox. Torox yeah. And I have a huge amount of time for just how much of a stupid edgelord, angry man Malekith is. His voice acting is fantastic as well. And you, the idea of playing this like, just this person who thinks the world is against them when actually the world just doesn't really care about most of your shit is very funny. Um, but, but, but essentially what I'm hearing is, is that you, you've you cheated. Yeah, definitely. Because you have you could have just put one of those two in number three and kick Cetra out. But I really like Cetra. And I wanted I wanted to show Cetra some love. Okay, but, why, but why not put Torox on num- at number one or Malekith at number one? Because number one is Altharion. No one was Altharion. Oh, you've gone Altharion over Imric. I've gone I've gone Altharion over Imric because Batman. his campaign is more fun. His campaign is stupidly fun, yes. His campaign's very fun. He gets unique units that no one else in the game has access to. Um, he has the prison mechanic, which is really cool. He's got this whole separate thing going on when you play him on the Vortex. Uh, you, know what's, you know what's excellent, in my opinion, an excellent play on CA's part about the prison mechanic? Is that it really encourages you as the player to fight every battle manually? Yes. Uh, yes. Other than settlement battles where there aren't any lords, but it's but it's so satisfying. To it's so satisfying. Them. You're absolutely right, and it's a much better way of doing it than just making auto resolve bullshit, which is what they appear to have done in Warhammer Three. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. So yeah, yeah. that's, so that's set, my list. Uh, slash Malakith. I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to Torox. You're going to commit to Torox. Torox. So Malekith drops off altogether. Malekith drops off altogether because okay. I prefer. Yeah, it's such a weird. No, I think I... it's it's fair to give some love to the Tomb Kings. I think it was a great DLC. Uh, DLC. And then Altharian wins it out for you. So a high elf, at the, uh, high elf at the top. Can't say we're surprised about that. Now for me, so I'm looking at my list. So the reason I made you go first is because there currently is no one on the third position, and that's because I really struggled. Yeah. I considered Repance because Fair. I like Bretonia a lot. Um, and, you know, she starts in such a different place. You know, she's got the water mechanic, which is interesting enough. Uh, you know, you kind of always have to keep on your toes. Um, but you just have lines and lines of cavalry just charging into skeletons, which is quite fun. That is very fun. I think um, the water mechanic suffers from something that a few other factions have, which is your faction mechanic is avoiding a negative. Rather than getting a positive, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but she's she's just quite fun. But not she, but she, she wasn't fun is. enough to be the number three, you know. Um, then I considered uh, I considered Cetra myself, but uh, yeah, a bit too vanilla. So I think 
Ah, I don't know. I think Torox was a worthy shout for number three. Yeah. Um, because, as you say, he is unbelievably fun. But I think in that vein, I have to stick with my gut here, and I will put Sisters of Twilight in at number three. Okay. That's, um, that's That fair. is one of the most fun campaigns. I've had. It's, it's the first campaign that I've played start to finish on very hard, hard. Okay. Uh, really enjoyed every second of it, because... It, it's kind of taking the similar thing as, as, as what we like about Torox, right? You can ping around and just have a crazy campaign with sisters because you can just teleport anywhere you want on the map. Yes, well, that's uh, very good. Know, any, any woodlands and you just instantly fighting a different enemy. It's just really satisfying um, and really enjoyable. Yeah. Their other mechanic at the beginning of the Forge of Daith was, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I had it just. I, re- I remember that campaign very fondly. It was a really fun campaign. Uh, yeah, there's. I think what's coming through here, and obviously we've got to get through the rest of your list. But fun, while being a completely undefinable metric, it is the most important thing. Even though you can't design for it, it, it is. But this is why my number one for our listeners will be quite surprising. Uh, I doubt it'll be surprising for you, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so Sisters of Twilight, my third pick. Interesting, specifically them, I don't think I would go Dreitcher, even though Dreitcher's got... Dreitcher's very unique. Dreitcher has more mechanics. She's very unique, think... but, but her mechanic is something that I dislike, because the Wood Elf, what I like about the Wood Elves is their archery prowess. Not and their Dreitcher trees. takes away from that. Not so much their trees. I like a bit of a mix, but no, I think you're really you're... disincentivized to take uh, elves as Dreitcher. I think I think you're right, and it sort of comes back to what I was saying. Like Dreitcher has more mechanics, so from a like complexity perspective, Dreitcher is more interesting than the Sisters of Twilight because she's got everything the Sisters of Twilight can do plus other stuff, minus the Forge of Daith, which isn't particularly interesting. But exactly, she's just yeah. less fun. She's just less fun somehow. Maybe it's the the constant bullshit dialogue that the sisters have, because they're obviously one lord, but they banter with each other. As compared with Dreitcher's constant screaming. Yeah, and I, I think maybe that's just <laughs> enough fluff to make them uh, win out again. So yeah, Sisters of Twilight. So number two, I, I had a real quandary. I, I'm going to cheat a bit like you. Although worse, because it's me. Um... I did originally write Snickage. Okay. Um, but then I wrote, wrote Snickage slash Throt slash Ikid Claw. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think my point here is that the Skaven DLCs were just all phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and as we discussed, it's because they throw balance out the window. You know, do you want to be a mad scientist rat who creates nuclear bombs that literally obliterate half the enemy force in one play Ikid Claw? Great. It's not balanced, but it's really fun. Yeah. Um, do you want to be another mad scientist, but this time create weird, random rat monsters? Um, you know, players throt. Again, great. But I, 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 I will give it to Snickage because I like him as a lord on the battlefield because he can nuke an, an enemy lord, especially an unsuspecting one. Yeah. And he's got an interesting start position tucked away in the corner. And you know you mentioned it before, but that that um, plot that he has, where you just cause anarchy and destroy a faction or a faction capital at the very least, unbelievably insane. 
No, um, you, del- you delete the whole faction. Yeah, yeah. It's and so it's, good. It's so much fun. It's just it's just absurd amounts of fun to play a Snicket and be like, oh, who am I going to just delete next? <laughs> it's very, very good. I think... Yeah, I think any of any of those three. I, for me, it would probably be Ikitclaw, uh, because I don't like Skaven units, and playing as Ikitclaw, you don't have to use Skaven units, you just get machine guns. Yeah, you just get machine guns, or long-range machine guns. Yeah, I mean, yeah a mixture of machine guns and sniper rifles, which is which is great. And sniper sni- rifles, better way of saying it. S- s- long-range machine guns. <laughs> hey. sn- Snickets, you just get slightly better Skaven. Uh, and they're very good. Like Death Runners are very, very good, but they're just—they're not as stupid fun. But you're right, Snickitch A being another fire and forget mis- missile, uh, especially that sort of single entity destruction. I remember playing in a you and I playing in a campaign, and you pointed him at Thorgrim, and I was standing there going, "Ah, oh, you know, this is a level twenty Thorgrim. He'll be absolutely—he's dead." Yeah. Melt so quickly. What just happened? But I think this is ultimately again one of the things that did it because Ikid, I think, would be the obvious choice. Yeah, Um, and as a DLC, wow, amazing! But that battle that we played, yeah, Snickich, because because I had Snickich and maybe two or three assassins, and it was a really wooded map, and it, it sort of. I remember you at the time going, oh, why is there another bloody assassin here? Yeah. Just constantly coming at you without you knowing. Um, just really good fun. Uh, it was fun yeah. for you. It was fun for me. Watching Thorgrim <laughs> die is always great fun. Stupid dwarf. Um, but yeah, so the trend does seem to be fun, right? Yeah. Fun campaigns for me. So what do you think my top pick is going to be? So I, I the thing is, I know you. And before we sat down, I thought I knew what your number one slot was going to be. I'm now not convinced All right. that I was right, but I think it's probably Ilariel. You think it's Ilariel? Yeah. And you and you, you're doubting yourself because she's not that fun. That's that would be my my that's my reason for doubting myself is that she's not that fun. Yeah, you know what? It's it's something I considered. So she is the first name I wrote down without hesitation, yeah. and I've got to stick with that. But then part of me was like, oh, I did like Aletha Narv because of reasons we mentioned. You know, you give an high, a high elf ambush attack and it is stupidly fun. But I've got to go with Alariel because I've played more Alariel campaigns than anything else. Yeah. And I'm still not really sure I can explain to you exactly why. The first reason is the most obvious. Tier 3 Sisters of Avalon. Yeah. I mean, that's just Which is broken. broken. Um, <laughs> Would you but, like I mean, the best really unit? Would you like the best unit in the game cheaper and earlier? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I would. thank, you. thank <laughs> you. Would you like to just run around with eighteen of them in your army? Of course, I would. Thank you. <laughs> um, What's so kind? So, so there's that, and I was thinking about this. And one of the things I actually do really like about her is because her unique mechanic is so focused on Ulthwan, protecting Ulthwan. It kind of forces you to play. A little bit slower. It forces. Tursling isn't the right word. It's like a. It's really rapid expansion to basically get all of Ulthwan, and then you can kind of stop. You, you take a breather after that for sure, and then, and then you kind yeah. of snipe your enemies. You think, oh, maybe I need to take out Hellebron because she keeps sending shit after. Yeah, me. but you just do little excursions. It's yeah. It's it's a very. I. It, it's not. Eltharion with 
dozens of unique mechanics and unique units and all of that. It's not Imric with a stupidly difficult start position, but you get stupidly powerful dragons as recompense. It's just like it's it's very similar to the Tyrion campaign, except with just a little bit more complexity. It, it, exactly, and and uh, weirdly never considered him because he he feels just too vanilla. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think he's he's phenomenal. If you play a Tyrion campaign, you will enjoy yourself. But part of the fun of a Tyrion campaign is collecting Eltharion, Alariel, Elithanog and Teclis as well and you getting to use them with the stupid amount of money that Tyrion gets you and the stupid amount of stability that Tyrion gets you. Yeah, and I think because he starts in Lothan and is so rich straight away, there's essentially nothing stopping you from just sailing Tyrion out to go take out Noctilus, you know, in the first few turns, or just sailing him somewhere really stupid like the old world. Yeah, let, let's go take out Bretonia early. Exactly, because Tyrion affords you that luxury, because you can just build a second army almost in turn one. Yeah. Um, build a second army. Lothurn and its surrounding provinces can support two armies, and then you just spec Tyrion out, you use influence, and you confederate everyone around you, and you're like, oh, I've, I've sort of won the game, and I haven't done anything. And, and it's something that bothered me a little bit about him, because he's so aggressive. Uh, and as an AI, he's really aggressive as well. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel quite high elven enough. Whereas Alariel, yeah, like I say, it forces you to be a bit more measured and sort of think, Ulthuan's the key goal here. Yeah. Tyr- Tyrion, it's far too easy to become... It's weird because Tyrion has that, you know, he's got that split in his skill tree, and you, you either go down the Uniter, Defender of Ulthuan, I think it's called, uh, yeah. tree, which is like basically make everyone like you, get lots of growth and control, and make your army a bit better. Or you go down the Blood of an Aryan thing, and you give him terror and two, plus 200% weapon strength, or whatever it is, and then you go and pick up the Sword of Cain. But you don't. Like, you don't need to go down that route to make Tyrion stupidly powerful and still feel like, I'm probably just going to go and take out someone in Lustria because I'm bored. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's a weird disconnect there of of not, of, of taking the, like, not pacifist, but more pacifistic route and then still just running a violent warmonger because it's easy. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I also think that, because with with the release of Alariel came the release of the Sisters of Avalon, which are just such a comically broken unit. And then even though it's obviously not the, the best build if you're going to play on Legendary or, or the harder difficulty modes, but she can just recruit some trees. And that, that's just enough flavor to be like, oh, that's really fun. And at the time, I didn't own the Wood Elves DLC at all. So for me, that was like, oh, tree. It was your I only fun. way of getting tree kin or tree men. Yeah. And... It's just quite fun, right? Instead of the usual first returns of recruiting spears and archers, you recruit, you know, you got that tree kin to start off with. You recruit a dryad or two, maybe. Because why not? <laughs> also, because you start with tree kin, you start with a siege attacker. Yeah, which really, is really, really powerful. <laughs> which is like such a little thing, but so powerful. Uh, no, I, I can see, I can see that. I, for me, she's not the best high elf, just because both. Altharian and Imric give me a more interesting experience. But if I want the the core high elf experience, it's probably Alariel rather than Tyrion or Teclis. Yeah, and this is ultimately why you blocked me from 
my original idea, which was going to be Ilariel, Elfarion, Alithanar. Yeah. Or Ilariel, Elfarion, Tyrion. Yeah. Or any variation of that. Maybe sometimes include Teclis because mm. he's got a very different start. He has a very different yeah. start and he is a stupidly powerful mage when you get him going. It is actually absurd, isn't it? It's because it's Net of Amentok. <laughs> And yeah. then also damage spells. It's just stupid. And the fact that all of his cooldowns and he has so much... It's just its just stupid, but very funny. Yeah, whereas Imric... There's, there's something about Imric that I just don't like. I mean, he's a dickhead. Like, his, his dialogue lines are so funny. He says stupid things like, you may look upon me and stuff. And it's like, mate, you're not even, like, your, fa- your own faction leader. You're... What are you playing at? But you've always been a bit like this. You're less focused on having like one stupidly powerful lord. I think compared to me, yeah. I I really like because I, I only... like Tyrion for that reason. And you, well, yeah, I guess. But Tyrion's not on a dragon, and dragons are really easy to shoot. And See, I wa- think that's may that's maybe it. Actually, the fact you, that you watch put too Imric much on a dragon, and it's just it's just cheating at that point, really. Especially because you take out Snickich so early, and then you get stock, and Imric is an invisible dragon, <laughs> which is just it. Just it's so ridiculous because he gets a dragon at level eight or something obscene, and it's the biggest dragon in the game, and people can't see him until he's on top of them. And you're like, okay, because he killed Snickich that one time, and you're like, okay. I think but the real ca- reason I don't like Imric is because you like him so much. That's also fair. Um, his campaign is just too irritating for him to to get the top spot for me, I think, because the number of times you and I have been talking and I've been like, oh, I'm doing another Imric campaign, still haven't taken out Snickich. I'm just fed up now. I'm on turn 20 and I still haven't taken him out because I can't move around that pissing swamp. There's His campaign relies a bit on RNG, um, but I guess it's where our playstyles are so problematic, right? Because we like to just take things out really early and, and not take our time at all. So yeah. we go for Snickage straight away. And then because random shit happens before you know it, sometimes Malice shows up and declares yeah. war and takes out your... Or Grimgore decides he doesn't want to fight the dwarves who are next to him, but comes all the way to you. Yes. And it's like, fuck you. Or sometimes then Queek shows up. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just yeah, you're, leave you're, me alone. <laughs> you, spend, you spend the whole of the campaign on the back foot. And then you get the option to confederate Kalidor very early on. And I always do it and always regret it. Always a dumpster fire when you do. It's always a mistake because you can't afford to keep Kalidor. Which <laughs> doesn't make any sense because it's a really it should be a wealthy province. Yeah. But then Noctilus shows up. Then Noctilus just shows Tyrion up and decides that he's having a bad day. And you can't get Tyrion to help. It's su- such a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, so, so it makes fun, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I guess the only the only last question for me because I know we've been going for a while. The last question for me is what what are you most looking forward to playing when they finally release whatever the Mortal Empires is for Warhammer three? What are you? What's your first campaign going to be? Oh, that's an excellent question. See, you'd probably think I'd want to say something like Lariel. The 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 thing is that the, Ulthorn is so far away from where all the new action would be. I don't know if I'd go. Something like an Imric, maybe, wouldn't be too bad, actually. Or Eltharion, because Eltharion starts... Eltharion's Mortal Empires campaign is actually quite difficult. 
Because you start in the Badlands. Because you start in the Badlands and on Orthwan, and it's it's really hard to sort of split your focus. Yeah. So maybe an Eltharion campaign to start off with. That's not bad. I can see that. I can see that. How about you? You see, I'm not sure. There's a bit of me that wants to say Scarbrand. Okay, and, yeah, pick, and, picking a Warhammer 3 faction, obviously, yeah. Picking a Warhammer 3 faction and, and playing a raise every settlement on the map. Very Occupi- difficult. O- occupy every uh, major settlement and raise every minor settlement on the map. Because that would just be really fun. And I also want to do things like throw Scarbrand at Imric and see what happens. But you know, Scarbrand is going to melt to late game high elf armies. That's so that's that's part of the problem. But also, or, or late game high, uh, dark elf armies actually. Uh, shades, yeah. Although he doesn't fly, so it's, he's not going to be as bad as. No, but his entire army will melt, <laughs> even if he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't care about that. But Scarbrand, yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good choice because he starts really far north, so you can kind of assuming his start is the same, yeah, yeah. It's it's just this tide of corn sweeping through. Yeah, the world. you consolidate the chaos waste and then drive south. Yeah, I like it so far. I like either so far. I either that or do something ridiculous. Do something like. Vlad von Karstein. Basically, probably not a Warhammer 2 Lord, despite that being what we're talking about. This was going to be my final question, and this is probably going to be a bit of a longer episode, but do you think you would have included Warhammer 1 Lords over the Warhammer 2 ones you had now? The only one that I would include is probably Vlad in the num- Vlad von Karstein in the number 2 slot. I don't. I, I think it goes Altharian, Vlad, Setra. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think you, you are a big fan of the Vampire accounts, specifically Vlad. Specifically Vlad. Um, whereas for me, I, I don't think I'd have picked any of the Empire, uh, any of the Warhammer One factions myself. So it'll be interesting to see once if we revisit this topic when Warhammer Three does launch its, you know, yeah. fabled Immortal Empires map to see who our favourite one is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that'll be interesting because they'll move start positions around and stuff as well. Which I'd really rate it if they just decide to stick uh, like Kugath in Lustria, just because why not? <laughs> Lustria is already full. Let's, let's put Kugath in it, and he can empty it. <laughs> I don't know. Just move move one of the Chaos Legendary Lords to like a completely random position, like next to that Malekith would be very funny. That would be very very funny. I guess they could actually because Malekith is. Far north, right? So you could, yeah, you could shift one of the, you could shift like Nakari a long way west, so that he comes down into Nagaroth, yeah, rather than into into the Empire. If that could work, well, he is over that way, isn't he? He's at the Palace of Princes, which is yeah, exactly. The the map that they've really stretched out the top half of the map for Warhammer Two. Yeah, so that could happen actually. So that'd Nikari, be, that'd so, be so Malekith will be stuck between Marathi and Nakari. That'll be. Fun thing. It's not where you want to be. Or is it? Anyway. <laughs> I think, unless there's anything else from you... Or, uh, not at all. But or, once again, I don't think we said anything too outrageous. We're going to need to go back over this and find some tinfoil. Uh, but all that's left is to say, thanks for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. 
no doubt we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. Now, as ever, feel free to let us know, rate the podcast and leave us a comment or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com. Tweet us at Zero Expertise. Check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com or come join us on our Discord server. And if you're lucky, we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. If you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Uh, we will be back in two weeks' time, where we will revisit our favourite, the Dresden verse, and ask one of the hottest questions out there. Who actually is the Englishman in Reach? You just know we're going to definitely agree on everything in that one. Join us then for more nonsense.